0: chapter nine of phantom fortune a novel this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox.org phantom fortune a novel by mary elizabeth braddon chapter nine a cry in the darkness the peril had to be faced for the weather did not favor lady molivier's hopes westmoreland skies forgot to shed their accustomed showers westmoreland hills seemed to have lost their power of drawing down the rain that august was a lovely month and the young people at fellside revealed in ideal weather mulivere took his friend everywhere by hill and stream and forest and gale to all those chosen spots which make the glory of the lake country on windermere and thirlmere away through the bleak pass of kirkstone to ullswater on driving excursions and on boating excursions and pedestrian rambles which latter the homely-minded hammond seemed to like best of all for he was a splendid walker and loved the freedom of a mountain ramble the liberty to pause and loiter and waste an hour at will without being accountable to anybody's coachman or responsible for the well-being of anybody's horses on some occasions the two girls and miss Muller were off the party and then it seemed to jump Hammond as if nothing were needed to complete the glory of earth and sky there were other days rougher journeys when the men went alone and there were days when Lady Mary stole away from her books and music and all those studies which she was supposed still to be pursuing no longer closely supervised by her governess, but on parole, as it were, and went with her brother and his friend across the hills and far away. These were happy days for Mary, for it was always delight to her to be with Moliviere, yet she had profound conviction of John Hammond's indifference, kind and courteous as he was in all his dealings with her, in a sense of her own inferiority, of her own humble charms and little power to please. Which was so acute as to be almost pain. One day his keen sense of humiliation broke from her unawares in her talk with her brother, as they two sat on a broad, heathy slope face to face with one of the Langdale pikes, and with a deep valley at their feet, while John Hammond was climbing from rock to rock in the gorge on their right, exploring the beauties of the dungeon gill. I wonder whether he thinks me very ugly, said Mary. With her hands clasped upon her knees, her eyes fixed on Weatherlam, upon whose brown brow a craggy mass of brown rock, clothed with crimson heather, stood out from the velvety green of the hillside. Who thinks you're ugly, Mr. Hammond? I'm sure he does. I am so sunburnt and so horrid. But you are not ugly. Why, Molly? What are you dreaming about? Oh, yes, I'm ugly i may not seem so to you perhaps because you are used to me but i know he must think me very plain compared with lesbia whom he admires so much yes he admires lesbia there is no doubt of that and i know he thinks me plain said molly contemplating a weather-lamb with sorrowful eyes as if the sequence were inevitable my dearest girl what nonsense plain forsooth Ugly Kotha? Why, there are not a finer pair of eyes in Westmoreland than my Molly's, or a prettier smile, or a whiter teeth. But all the rest is horrid, said Mary, intensely in earnest. I'm sunburnt, freckled, and altogether odious, like a haymaker or a market woman. Grandmother has said so often enough, and I know it is the truth, I can see it in Mr. Hammond's manner. What? freckles and sunburn and the haymaker and all that cried molivier laughing what an expressive manner jack must be if he can convey all that like lord burleigh's nod by jove why what a goose you are mary jack thinks you're a very nice girl and a very pretty girl i'll be bound but aren't you clever enough to understand that when a man is overhead and ears in love with another woman he is apt to see just a little indifferent to all the other women in the world and there is no doubt jack is desperately in love with lesbia you ought not to let him be in love with her protested mary you know it can only lead to his unhappiness you must know what grandmother is and how she has made up her mind that lesbia is to marry some great person you ought not to have brought mr hammond here it is like letting him into a trap do you think it was wrong asked her brother smiling at her earnestness i should be very sorry if poor jack should come to grieve but still if lesbia likes him which i think she does we ought to be able to talk over the dowager. never cried mary grandmother will never give way you have no idea how ambitious she is why once when lesbia was in a poetical mood and said she would marry the man she liked the best in the world if he were a pauper her ladyship flew into a terrible passion and told her she would renounce her that she would curse her if she were to marry beneath her or marry without her grandmother's consent hard lines for hammond said mollivier rather lightly then i suppose we must give up the idea of a match between him and lesbia you ought not to have brought him here retorted mary you had better invent some plan for sending him away if we stay it will only break his heart dear child man's heart do not break so easily i have fancied that mine was broken more than once in my life yet it is sound enough i assure you oh sigh mary but you are not like him wounds do not go so deep with you the subject of their conversation came out of the rocky cleft in the hills as mary spoke she saw his hat appearing out of the gorge and then the man himself emerged a tall well-built figure clad in brown tweed coming towards them with a sketchbook and a color box in his pocket he had been making what he called memoranda of the waterfall a stone or two here, a cluster of ferns there, or a tree torn up by the roots, and yet green and living, hanging across a torrent, a rude natural bridge. This round, by the Langdale Pikes and Dungeon Gill, was one of their best days, or at least Molly and her brother thought so, for to these two the presence of Lesbia and her chaperon was always a restraint mary could walk twice as far as her elder sister and revealed in hillside path and all manners of rough places they ordered their luncheon at the inn below the waterfall and had it carried up on the furzy slope in front of the weather-lamp where they could eat and drink and be merry to the music of the force as it came down from the hills behind them while the lights and shadows came and went upon yonder rugged brow now gray in the shadow now ruddy in the sunshine Mary was so gay as a bird during the rough and ready luncheon. No one would have suspected her uneasiness about John Hammond's peril or her own plainness. She might let her real self appear to her brother, who had been her trusted friend and father-confessor from her babyhood. But she was too thorough a woman to let Mr. Hammond discover the depth of her sympathy and the tenderness of her compassion for his woes later as they were walking home across the hills by great langdale and little langdale and fox Ho and lowrig fell she fell behind a few paces with molliviere and said to him very earnestly you won't tell him will you dear tell what he asked staring at her don't tell mr hammond what i said about his thinking me ugly he might want to apologize to me and that would be too humiliating i was very childish to say such a silly thing undoubtedly you were and you won't tell him tell him anything that would degrade my mary assail her dignity by so much as a breath sooner would i have this tongue torn out with red hot pincers on the next day and the next sunshine and summer skies still prevailed but mr hammond did not seem to care for rumbling far afield he preferred loitering about in the village rowing on the lake reading in the garden and playing lawn tennis he had only inclination for those amusements which kept him within a stone-throw of fellside and mary knew that this disposition had arisen in his mind since lesbia had withdrawn herself from all share in their excursions lesbia had not been rude to her brother or her brother's friend she had declined their invitation with smiles and sweetness but there was always some reason a new song to be practised a new book to be read a letter to be written why she would not go for drives or walks or steamboat trips with Molivier and his friends so mr hammond suddenly found out that he had seen all that was worth seeing in the lake country and that there was nothing so enjoyable as the placid idleness of fellside and at fellside lady lesbia could not always avoid him without a too marked intention so he tasted the sweetness of her society to a much greater extent than was good for his peace if the case were indeed as hopeless as lady mary declared he strolled about the grounds with her he drank the sweet melody of her voice in Hine's thunderous ballads he read to her on the sunlit lawn in the lazy afternoon hours he played billiards with her he was her faithful attendant at afternoon tea. He gave himself up to the study of her character, which to his charmed eyes seemed the perfection of pure and placid womanhood. There might perhaps be some lack of passion and a force in this nature, a marked absence of that impulsive feeling which is a charm in some women, but this want was atoned for by sweetness of character and mr hammond argued that in these calm natures there is often an unsuspected debt, a latent force a grandeur of soul which only reveals itself in the great ordeals of life so john hammond hung about the luxurious drawing-room at fellside in a manner which his friend mollivier ridiculed as unmanly i had no idea you were such a tame cat he said if when we were salmon fishing in canada anybody had told me you could loll about a drawing-room all day listening to a girl squalling and reading novels i shouldn't have believed a word of it we had plenty of roughing on the shores of the st lawrence answered hammond summer idleness in a drawing-room is an agreeable variety it is not to be supposed that john hammond's state of mind could long remain unperceived by the keen eyes of the Dowager she saw the gradual dawning of his love she saw the glow of its meridian she was pleased to behold this proof of lesbia's power over the heart of men so would she conquer the man for doomed to be her husband when the coming time should bring them together but agreeable as the fact of this first conquest might be as an evidence of lesbia's supremacy among women the situation was not without its peril and lady Maulevrier felt that she could no longer defer the duty of warning her granddaughter she had wished if possible to treat the thing lightly to the very last so that lesbia should never know there had been a danger she had told her a few days ago that those drives and walks with the two young men were undignified and although guarded by the and substantial presence you're making yourself too much a companion to maulevier and his friend said the dogger if you do not take care you will grow like mary i would do anything in the world to avoid that said lesbia our walks and drives have been very pleasant mr hammond is extremely clever and can talk about everything her colour heightened ever so lightly as she spoke of him an indication duly observed by lady maulevier no doubt the man is clever all adventurers are clever and you have sense enough to see that this man is an adventurer a mere sponge and a toady of there is nothing of the sponge or the toady in his manner protested lesbia with a still deeper blush the warm glow of angry feeling my dear child what do you know of such people or of the atmosphere in which they are generated the sponge and the toady of today is not the clumsy fawning wretch you have read about in old-fashioned novels he can flatter adroitly and feed upon his friends and yet maintain a show of manhood and independence i wager mr hammond's trip to canada did not cost him sixpence and that he hardly opened his purse all the time he was in germany if my brother wants the company of a friend who is much poorer than himself he must pay for it argued lesbia i think Molivier is lucky to have such a companion as mr hammond yet even while she so argued lady lesbia felt in some manner humiliated by the idea that this man who so palpably worshipped her was too poor to pay his own travelling expenses Poets and philosophers may say what they will about the grandeur of plain living and high thinking, but a young woman thinks better of the plain liver who is not compelled to plainness by want of cash. The idea of narrow means, of dependence upon the capricious generosity of a wealthy friend, is not without its humiliating influence. Lesbia was barely civil to Mr. Hammond that evening when he praised her singing— she refused to join in a four-game proposed by Molivier, I'll bet she and Mr. Hammond had beaten Mary and Molivier the evening before, with such exultant hilarity. Hammond had been at Fellside nearly a month, and Mollivier was beginning to talk about a move further northward. There was a grouse moor in Aldershire, which the two young men talk about as belonging to some unnamed friend of the Earl's which they had thought of shooting over before the grouse season was ended lord hartfield has a property in Augershire, said the Dowager. when they talk of these shootings do you know his estate mr hammond hammond knows that there is such a place i dare say replied molliviere replying for his friend but you do not know lord hartfield perhaps said her ladyship not arrogantly but still in a tone which implied her conviction that John Hammond would not be had in glue with earls in Scotland or elsewhere. Oh, yes, I know him by sight. Everyone in Algiershire knows him by sight. Naturally, a young man in his position must be widely known. Is he popular? Fairly so. His father and I were friends many years ago, said Lady Mollivere in faint sigh. Have you ever heard if he resembles his father? I believe not. I'm told he is like his mother's family. Then he ought to be handsome. Lady Florence Ilmington was a famous beauty. They were sitting in the drawing-room after dinner, the room dimly lighted by a darkly shaded lamps, the windows wide open to the summer sky and moonlit lake. In that subdued light, Lady Maulevrier looked a woman in the prime of life. The classical modelling of her features and the delicacy of her complexion were unimpaired by time, while those traces of thought and care which gave age to her face, in the broad of light of day, were invisible at night. John Hammond contemplated that refined and placid countenance with profound admiration. He remembered how her ladyship's grandson had compared her with the Sphinx and it seemed to him to-night as he studied her proud and tranquil beauty that there was indeed something of the mysterious and unreadable in that countenance and that beneath its heroic calm there might be the ashes of tragic passion and traces of a life-long struggle with faith that such a woman so beautiful so gifted so well fitted to shine and govern in the great world should have been content to live a long life of absolute seclusion in this remote valley was in itself a social mystery which must needs set on observant young men wandering it was all very well to say that lady maulevrier loved a country life that she had made fellside her earthly paradise and had no desire beyond it the fact remained that it was not in lady maulevrier's temperament to be satisfied with such an existence that falcon eye was never meant to gaze forever upon one narrow range of mountain and lake that lip was made to speak among the great ones of the world lady maulevier was particularly gracious to her grandson's friend this evening maulevier spoke so decisively about a speedy migration northward seemed so inclined to regret the time wasted since the twelfth of the month that she thought the danger was past that she could afford to be civil, she really liked the young man, had no doubt in her own mind that he was a gentleman in the highest and broadest sense of the word, but not in the sense which made him an eligible husband for either of her granddaughters. Lesbia was in pensive mood this evening; she sat in the veranda, looking dreamily at the lake, and at Fairfield yonder, a broad green slope silvered with moonlight and seeming to stretch far away into unfathomable distance if one could but take one's lover by the hand and go wandering over their mystic moon slopes into some new and real world where it would not matter whether a man were rich or poor high-born or low-born where there should be no such things as rank and state to be won or lost lesbia felt to-night as if she would like to live out her life in dreamland reality was too hard too much set round by difficulties and sacrifices. While Lesbia was losing herself in that dream world, Lady mulivier unbent considerably to John Hammond and talked to him with more appearance of interest in his actual self and his own affair than she had manifested, hitherto although she had been uniformly courteous. She asked him his plans for the future. Had he chosen a profession? He told her that he had not. He meant to devote himself to literature and politics. It is not that rather vague? Required her leadership. Everything is vague at first. But literature now, as an amusement, no doubt, it is delightful. But as a profession, does literature ever pay? There have been such cases yes i suppose so walter scott gibbon macaulay fraud those made money no doubt but there is a suspicion of hopelessness in the idea of a young man starting in life intending to earn his bread by literature one remembers chatterton i should have thought that in your case the law or the church would have been better in the latter molivier might have been useful to you he is a patron of three or four livings you are too good even to think of such thing said hammond but i have set my heart upon a political career i must swim or sink in that sea lady molivier looked at him with a compassionate smile poor young man no doubt he thought himself a genius and that doors which had remained shut to everybody else would turn on their hinges directly as he knocked at them she was sincerely sorry for him young clever enthusiastic and doomed to bitterest disappointment you have parents perhaps who are ambitious for you a mother who thinks her son a heaven-born statesman," said her ladyship kindly alas no that incentive to ambition is waiting in my ease i have neither father nor mother leaving that is very sad no doubt that fact had been a bond of sympathy between you and maulevier i believe it has well i hope providence will smile upon your path come what may i shall never forget the happy weeks i have spent at fellside said hammond or your ladyship's gracious hospitality he took up the beautiful hand white to transparency showing the delicate tracing of blue veins and pressed his lips upon it in chivalrous worship of age and womanly dignity lady maulevier smiled upon him with her calm grave smile she would have liked to say you shall be welcome again at Fellside. But she felt that the man was dangerous. Not while Lesbia remained single could she court his company. If Mollivier brought him, she must tolerate his presence, but she would do nothing to invite that danger. There was no music that evening. Mollivier and Mary were playing billiards. Frolen Muller was sitting in her corner working at a high-art counterpane lesbia came in from the veranda presently and sat on a low stool by her grandmother's armchair and talked to her in soft cooing accents inaudible to john hammond who sat a little way off turning the leaves of the contemporary review and this went on till eleven o'clock the regular hour for retiring when mary came in from the billiard-room and told mr hammond that Mulivier was waiting for smoke and a talk then candles were lighted and the ladies all departed, leaving John Hammond and his friend with the house to themselves. They played a fifty game and smoked and talked till the stroke of midnight, by which time it seemed as if there were not another creature awake in the house. Mollivier put out the lamps in the billiard room and they went softly up the shadowy staircase and parted in the gallery, the earl going one way and his friend the other. The room was large and roomy, spread over a good deal of ground lady maulevrier having insisted upon there being only two stories the servants room were all in side wing corresponding with those older buildings which had been given over to steadman and his wife and among the villagers of grasmere enjoyed the reputation of being hunted a white paneled corridor extended from one end of the house to the other it was lighted from the roof and served as a gallery for the display of small and choice collection of modern art which her ladyship had acquired during her long residence at fellside here too in sheraton cabinets were those treasures of old english china which lady maulevrier had inherited from past generations her ladyship's rooms were situated at the southern end of this corridor her bedchamber being the extreme end of the house with windows commanding two magnificent views, one across the lake and the village of Grasmere to the green slopes of Fairfield, the other along the valley towards the Rydal Water. This and the adjoining Boudoir were the prettiest rooms in the house, and no one wondered that her ladyship should spend so much of her life in the luxurious seclusion of her own apartments. John Hammond went to his room, which was on the same side of the house as her ladyship's, but he was in no disposition for sleep. He opened the casement and stood looking out upon the moonlit lake and the quiet village, where one solitary light shone like a faint star in a cottage window, amidst that little cluster of houses by the old church, once known as Kirktown. Beyond the village rose gentle slopes crowned with foliage, and above those wooded crests appeared the grand outline of the hills surrounding and guarding eastdale's lovely valley as the hills surrounded jerusalem of old he looked at that delicious landscape with eyes that hardly saw its beauty the image of a lovely face came between him and all the glory of earth and sky i think he likes me he was saying to himself there was a look in her eyes tonight that told me the time was come when the thought died unfinished in his brain through the silent house, across the placid lake, there rang a wild, shrill cry that froze the blood in his veins, or seemed so to freeze it. A shriek of agony, in a woman's voice, it rang out from an open window near his own. The sound seemed so close to his ear. End of chapter 9